Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. And John's not with us. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your gaming podcast where I'm sending the message to you. My mind to your mind. My thoughts to your thoughts. Shouldn't be thinking like that. You're a church going man. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh. You dug too deep. (laughs) (laughs) Trav and I are continuing our talk, actually, adventuring on a truly advanced planet or culture. So that brings us to our last one, which is instantaneous teleportation over any distance. Okay, so, uh, I mean, you know, it's, I mean, to be able to warp time and space like that, it's got to take unlimited energy. Just... Scott. Oh yeah, Robotech the uh, the the fold drives that the SDF one used that were powered by uh, protoculture. Yeah, frustrated geraniums. Yeah. Yeah, you're sitting there, basically, you know, wormhole that compresses space time, and you can hop. Let's see, the Robotech Master motherships did three hundred parsecs a jump, which is like almost a thousand light years. That's a lot. Yeah. We can, we can't even see that far without special, you know, like the the Hubble space. Uh, the, the human eye can't see that far in in stars. All the stars we see in the sky are less than 1000 light years away. Yeah, the um but even just the the sub the the standard like medium-sized spacecraft their full drive because I've run a Robotech campaign. I've had to read all this stuff for, from last Saturday as so well. It's fresh in my mind now. Even then, like 115 parsecs per jump. So that's like 350 light years. And still, I mean, that's just... In order to do that type of travel, yeah, it would take incredible amounts of energy. You'd have to... You know, that would be where... Because I notice in D20 Future, the higher level of star drives you have in the D20 Future and Future Tech books, the higher levels of power core you need, like tachyon drives, dark matter reactors, mass reactors. Um, What are some of the other... There was a couple other power cores that were like PL8, PL9, where you're harnessing the elemental forces of nature to power your starship. And usually for the star drive, it's not like, well, we need this to power the lights. No, you can use a fusion reactor for that. For the star drive, you need, you know, the big guns. So Right. Yeah. You need the antimatter, you know. Yeah. The antimatter collider or whatever. whatever. But yeah, teleportation over any distance. Yeah, most likely nine times out of ten with that, you're either bridging space-time by either collapsing space or making a wormhole, or you're sidestepping the material universe entirely and going into 
warp space, hyperspace, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Or you're doing that warp drive thing where you stretch space and just yeah, well, collapse yeah, it behind you and you're now you know where you were trying to get to. Yeah, you're somehow distorting space-time. Yeah, that was... Right. Yeah, ultimately you have to do that in order to do teleportation. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and... and and I, I wrote this, uh, an adventure one time that took place on a world ship that was 250,000 miles across. And it was like yeah. a million miles long. Yeah, I think you, I remember you mentioned that to us before. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, and I'm like, and, and I was asking the, pe- you know, the players, and I was like, okay, so what do you think makes this thing go? I mean, it's obviously not meant to be sitting here in space for the rest of the time, though it does seem to be doing that right now. What do you, how do you think this thing gets where it's supposed to go? And they're all like, well, some kind of warp technology or something like that. I said, yeah, but, you know, think about the size of this thing. The number of, you know, quadrillion metric tons that are involved, okay? I mean, they're creating, I had it, you know, I had it creating gravity literally by mass. Okay, the mass that was in part of the cylinder underneath was creating Earth G gravity. Okay. So basically, I, you know, I don't, uh, I, I, I didn't do all the calculations, but I mean, essentially, you've got a layer that is, you know, I had it made out of like basically a, mostly pure uranium. Okay. And uh, uh, it was, so whatever that is compared to normal dirt, it was that thinner than it would be for an entire planet. Essentially, that's what you had all the way around the length, you know, and all the way around. So, uh, until it got to the front where it did taper up, and I was and I was like, what, what, what makes this thing work, guys? And you know, they were they really wondered after I finally you know got them to understand the scale of what was going on here, and they got up to the front and they found out that what it was is they were using psi, that the um, that there was a special combination of people with psi powers that were necessary to be the crew of this ship. Uh, and you know what uh, that provided all these things we're talking about precision beyond you know uh, understanding the ability to see perceive you know um, way beyond what human sight could possibly imagine and the ability to teleport but also somebody who had the ability to keep everybody's bodies going and so yeah. essentially what happened was the teleporter was just teleporting the entire thing a certain distance. And then again and again and again and again, as fast as they possibly could, to the point where it was just done unconsciously. And so the ship was essentially never actually accelerating at all, but it was translocating as close to the speed of light, or possibly faster than the speed of light. I don't, I don't remember, you know, what it was. And the idea was to get them from where they were going to someplace else where they were supposed to be at. And that was how the ship moved. Was oh, okay. using teleportation, you know, but it didn't. It wasn't just one godlike being doing it. It had to be all this stuff bolstered by the, you know, by the super science technology that was part of the whole, you know, cockpit thing that made the whole giant super ship run, anyways. But it, it took a whole lot of these things for it to happen, and uh, that was what the adventure was all about: was going out into this world and collecting all the people that were that were good candidates to become the crew and see if they could integrate together and not, you know, basically destroy each other, you know, by their own personal ambitions. Because if you have special abilities, sometimes it makes you, you know, 
ambitious. Yeah. <laughs> you might not work well with others, and working well was essential. So, all right. Anyways, but that was that was uh, teleportation was 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 you know was how they got this thing going. So if you're gonna go, and, and the reason I bring this up is because of certain animes that are out there, and the one in particular I'm thinking of is Gurren Lagann. Are you familiar with this anime? Doesn't sound familiar. No. Okay. Well, it's it's a fairly famous anime, uh, but the point is in this in the series, the mechs keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger until finally at the end there is a mech that's basically I don't know I I, I don't want to I mean it I, even to say it sounds silly but it's a sizable portion in size of the universe. Yeah. Okay. Now I, I'm not, and I don't, I don't want to talk bad about the anime in any way because I haven't seen to the end, and and that's you know, and, and the story is really important in these kinds of things. But the point here is, is that when you see it move its arm, in order for it to do that, its arm is moving faster than the speed of light. Yeah. Just. Okay. It's that whole relativistic kind of thing going on. I mean, it's like something is making this thing able to move like in an impossible speed over impossible distances. And one way of avoiding that is teleportation. Yeah. If literally every piece of the ship synchronous, synchronized is teleporting these vast distances so from you know any reasonable distance it looks like the thing is just moving its arm normally, like you'd be waving at somebody or swinging, you know, banging. It was because another robot he was fighting, so it's also somewhat the same size. So I'm just saying, so in order to do that, in order to have things this big, they have they're basically going to be violation of local time space rules. Oh yeah, they're going to have to somehow get past that. So, you know, tele instantaneous teleportation over any distance is one of the ways that you could do that. I mean, the other way is to simply say, well, the universe is a backdrop, but they're actually inside of a different universe. <laughs> it's just, we're, we're, it, it's, a, it's a forced perspective. <laughs> it's not really that big because, frankly, as big as they were, they would have been crushing star systems as they moved. Yeah, because, I mean, just... The size of everything that we're talking about. Well, you heard as soon as you had said that, I'm like, all right now, really? You know, just, yeah. So, I mean, I, that's, I'm saying, this, that's, when you, uh, there's a, a, a great little uh, bit on uh, YouTube, which is called Relative Sizes of Bex. And the last one is that super big Gurren Lagann. <laughs> it isn't called Gurren Lagann. It's called something Lagann. And it is... Like, it's, it's, you know, if you, it's hard enough even to understand how big we're talking about when you talk about the universe, okay? And this thing is a sizable portion of that size. So it's just like boggles, literally boggles the mind. It's easier just to go and look at it and go, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> just, and just go with it. Don't think about it. You'll yeah, lose hair. You can't. Yeah. I mean, we can't even conceive of, of the distances that are between planets. We can deal with them mathematically, you know, and and, and use scientific notation. So, you know, that, that distance becomes like four, 10 to the 43rd power. 
yeah. stuff. You know, but really, you know, it's 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 beyond our our, our ability to, to really comprehend. So when we start talking about things like that, then so the and and it takes unlimited energy to be able to do that. I mean, I mean, if anything takes unlimited energy, that takes unlimited energy. And where it's coming from, you know, ain't coming from, I mean, some other universe because, you know, you'd be winking out the entire universe in, in, in its tomfoolery at the end of that, that anime. I don't know where it's coming from. But anyways, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, they have their fight and then they collapse into a black hole and explode and destroy this universe and create a new one. Who knows? I don't know. I, I haven't seen the end of it. Uh, I was, I was, I only saw like the first dozen episodes of it. So we never got to that part, so. but they they they've done some other weird stuff in anime that we're, we can we can talk as a, as a topic about you know what what things they do in anime that break the laws of physics you know and there's a couple this is one really good example of that, so oh yeah anyways uh, so that was so that that's why I listed instantaneous teleportation over any distance you know the whole mass energy thing it's just got to be just beyond anything that we can possibly imagine. And probably, you know, solar level unlimited energy is not enough. We're probably talking about something way beyond that. The dimensional uh, gradient probably would be the best thing. Possibly yeah. a time bubble where you're literally taking all the energy in a parallel universe and just condensing it down and funneling it out like you'd be squeezing water out of a balloon. I don't know. Just, you know. Un unbelievable amount of energy. So, uh, okay. So, can you think of any other form of unlimited energy? No, usually ones that come to mind are either you're tapping into stars or celestial bodies or you're tapping into dimensional energies. Those are the two that always come to mind for me. Yeah, there's always the power of love, Tram. Oh. <laughs> hmm. This is where we'd have some, you know pod safe you know type of romantic music yeah well considering how many times you've been married you may you may be a little bit skeptical about the power of love wow okay we're gonna go there all right yeah um jaded not dead man come on hey hey no no i'm not saying you know love, love springs eternal thank goodness as i said usually for my purposes in a game I can sit there and say it taps into dimensional energy or it taps into celestial body energy. And that that does serve my purposes. I don't have to get too deep because I don't have players that sit there and, well, I had one, but I, he, he, he and I don't game together anymore. So it's like I don't have to worry about him picking apart my, my techno babble and calling me out there at the table. Most of the time, those two serve my purposes. I'm not having to go and dig deeper and try to find a new way to find out how to power some god tech. Well, one of the things that you know we we could use as a source for unlimited energy is we I kind of already talked about it, which is is that if you had something that produced energy naturally, let's say you know some fissionable material that that just you know generated a lot of heat, maybe not so much that it would. Um, uh, you know, they would explode. You know, we don't want it to go critical, but so much, but it, so it produces a really high level of energy. And so if you have it in a time bubble of some kind, then you could collect all that energy 
and release it, you know, put, create like a time grade and release it all at once into our universe or into, you know, outside of the bubble. And it could provide enormous amounts of energy. And yeah, it would, I mean, the, the, the object itself would, you know, would, the power would get, you know, the, the, um, it would turn into its base form. It, it would, its half-life would take like maybe 15 minutes instead of taking millions of years. But you'd end up with a ton of energy as a result. And if the time bubble collapsed, you know, then you just end up with whatever it was with no more energy, you know, coming out of it. It'd be decaying at the normal rate. So it would be kind of a way of, it would be a safe form of really powerful energy. Assuming, of course, that in the process of it coming out, it doesn't like, you suddenly, it, if it collapsed, and it was in the process of producing all that energy, and it was a lot of it, then there might be a big explosion. But it, but it wouldn't be, you know, it, it wouldn't be like blowing up the planet, at least hopefully. If you, did, if you designed it right, then it would, the gradient would be so, the, the collapsing time gradient would not cause a problem, is what I'm trying to say. But uh, that's one thing I thought of as far as, because there's a lot of, you know, video games and other things like that that always seem to have some kind of unlimited energy in it, and it's safe. And I'm always like, what is this coming from? You know, like um, the um, uh, Fallout 4. I mean, the whole Fallout series. They had cars running on nuclear energy. And so much so that in the future, if you shoot a car, it'll blow up. But when it blows up, it blows up but and it causes you get radiated from it but it doesn't go off like a nuke would like Nagasaki or Hiroshima so you know it's you know it raises the question of how you know it's, it's just the physics in in the Fallout 4 world different uh, Fallout universe different that it just doesn't ever get that it, 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 you never you don't well, you know they get critical mass because they blow each other up with nukes, okay? But maybe it takes bit, much bigger nukes in order for that to happen. So maybe when a small thing like a, a car engine, the worst that's going to happen is, is you're going to get an explosion like somebody setting off a stick of TNT and it's going to throw you know, radioactive material over the neighborhood you know, within, like, say, 100 feet. And you might get some radiation, but then you know you, you bring in the cleanup team. They scoop it all up, and uh, uh, and then and then everybody involved goes and gets a shot of rat away that cures all the genetic damage, you know, or, or whatever. And it's fine. It's not a big deal. It's uh, otherwise it's you know really really safe, you know. So only in like massive you know car explosions and you know you know cars getting crushed or whatever not just smashing into each other but literally like one in a million incidents which this ever happened i mean maybe that happens okay all those stories uh, in um with with um oh shoot um steampunk they always seem to have some battery or there's this glowing tube or something that provides them with all the energy they need. And I'm always like, what is that? And how does that work? You know, and I mean, even um, Captain Nemo, he extracted all of his electrical needs from seawater. And it's, it's just says that, doesn't, you know, like this, you know, like the sea is... You know, because we know that the sea has electrolytes in it, and 
Therefore, somehow he's able to extract what he needs out of the seawater and power his ship, you know, through a, a, an electrical battery thing. And I'm always, and I was, I, I remember like reading it as a kid and never really thinking about it. And then years later, like in college, reading it again, going, what did he say? How did this work? <laughs> and I write it, I was very dissatisfied. Shattering the illusions of youth, yes. Oh, well, I'm just saying, but almost all of these steampunk things always seem to do that sooner or later. They got something charging around. Yes, it's using steam and stuff, but it's like powered by something that just doesn't exist. And, and that, that's probably the thing that gives me the most dissatisfaction with the whole genre, personally. Not that I'm saying that people shouldn't enjoy it. You want a little bit of verisimilitude and you just look at that and go, Yeah, and no. if they could just <laughs> explain that one thing, since it seems to be such a linchpin, something that they came up with. Even if they said we just, you know, like they, we discovered a new element, okay, that nobody knew about, and it works really great. Then it'd be, it'd be something, okay? But it always seems to be just this, uh, I don't know, these resonating crystals that somehow produce electricity when they're next to each other. Yeah. And, and I'm like, Ooh. and And that falls along to the same concept they had back then, which was, you know, that the universe was full of vibrations, you know, and, and, yeah. and that if you understood the basic vibration, you know, vibratory pattern of anything in the universe, you could disrupt it, and that's how disintegrators work, okay? Or yeah. you could, you know, do good things with it, you know? And, and But most importantly, you could use it as a way of, of creating energy wherever you needed it. And so I think that was kind of like what that thing was supposed to be, was some kind of thing. And they used it in um, a little bit uh, in um, From Beyond, the, the kind of Lovecraftian movie. That uh, Jeffrey Coombs was in. Was he in that one? I'm not sure if he was in that one. Uh, I think he wasn't. Anyways, but they they had this 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 device, this tuning fork device that actually allowed people. First, they thought they were just seeing into other universes, and then they realized after a while they were letting the other universe leak into our universe, and of course, bad things happened. So, uh, but that was the whole idea that everything has a basic resonance to it. And once you understand that, you essentially gain enormous knowledge and power over the universe around you. So, I'm just saying, that's, that, that's what I think would have to be as part of these, these um, uh, steampunk-type stories where they have this stuff. Because, you know, you need something to explain how these are being powered. You know, because, I mean, most of them are not being powered by actual you know, coal-fired steam engines. Yeah. They're, they're being fire, powered by something else, you know, especially the airships. So, yeah. It's, uh, but anyways. Uh, so that's all I can think of as far as unlimited energy. Um, uh, one of the uh, Doctor Who episodes, uh, one time they were talking about that, and at the end of it, uh, Tom Baker uh, looks at the guy and says, have you looked into tapping energy by the relative movements of the planets around a star? Lots of energy there. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we should do that. I think, you know, that was the one where they did the, the block something transfer stuff. It's where they, it's one, right before they lost Ad, uh, Aldrich, Adderick, whatever his name was, the kid. 
I, my knowledge of Baker, it was a long time since I've seen any of those on people. I just was impressed when he actually told somebody, says, you know, that, that you could somehow generate energy from the, <clears throat> the relative movements of planets around the sun. The fact that one's going this direction, you're going this direction. You know, if you set up some kind of connection between the two, that's that tension between the planets are going to generate enormous amounts of energy that can be tapped. Oh, yeah. What they were trying to do, they were trying to come up with some way of powering their civilization because they essentially run out of all their fossil fuels. And they, they just needed more energy that could be produced by solar or, or any of the normal means that people would come up with. So they were trying to tap into stuff that was essentially about to cause their entire, well, possibly the universe. You know, certainly their planet itself was about to be destroyed. Okay. And so... At the end of which he, you know, he goes to the lead scientist and he says, "You guys are like you idiots, you know." He says, "Now we're all gonna die." Blah 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 blah. And he's like, "Yeah, check this out." And he's like, "Oh, I never thought of that." Yeah, yeah. And he pats him on the, you know, on the back and he toddles off. And we go to, you know, the, the fun stuff, you know, with him basically talking to people. <laughs> Tom Baker being smiling at the camera and being, yeah, being, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, for for a guy who wasn't that attractive, he had a lot of charm. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So it was that, that wild-eyed grin that just it, it drew you in, like, yeah, you know, you're not you're gonna have fun with this one, yeah. All right, well, that's that's all I got that I can say on this podcast. <laughs> okay. Uh, for unlimited energy, is there anything else that you that you'd like to mention about? Lot, you know what life on a super science planet might involve. Well, it's just that for your gamers, I mean, you really are going to have to. It, this this is going to push you as far as making stuff up like this, because you will. And we've mentioned you're going to bring up a lot of ethical issues, like the things about tapping into people's minds. Um, you're going to have to. You could get into some sticky discussions of technology versus ethics. And, of course, Oppenheimer and the atomic bomb will come up, I'm sure. But, yeah, if you run this right, you could have a lot of fun with it because you could just do all sorts of stuff to the players. And it's just God tech gives you gives the GM excuse to just totally go Arthur C. Clarke on his players. Sure. And it's fun. Yes. Because every time they think they know, they got a handle on a situation, or you know they they're stuck, they can't figure it out, and some like four year old boy says, "Well," or, uh, or girl says, "Well, why don't you do this?" And they're like, "Well, how do we do that?" He says, "Oh, it's easy." He just goes and fills a you know a blackboard full of you know calculations. He says, yeah. or or you could just go buy you know the uh, buy it down at the hardware store. It's on sale, two for fifteen hundred credits. <laughs> you're like really yeah <laughs> and the line from back to future oh i suppose you can just go to the corner store and buy plutonium yes <laughs> yes yes and then, of course it turns out yes you can in the future not that future but in the second yeah. you know the the, the one because he had mr mr um, mr fusion mr. yeah mr fusion they yeah. ran off of ran off of uh uh, of, pe- of of banana peels, yeah, beer and banana peels beer. and coffee grounds, yeah, yeah, great. That's just 
that was so much fun, you know. And, and that's the future, of course, we want in these stories. You know, we want fun stuff like that. You know, where yeah. people are doing crazy stuff with crazy stuff. You know, th they're doing stuff that just shouldn't make sense, but it does. You know, so that's where it's great to have, like, um, you know, Stephen Wallet's uh, drama deck. Because oh, there's yeah. a lot of cards in there that literally, it's, it's like, you suddenly do this. <laughs> you discover you have a psychic power you did not know, and it works, and, and you can use it for the next 10 minutes. It's like, that's what we're talking about. Or, you know, you, you needed a vehicle, and literally, you know, a car, a, a spaceship falls out of the sky and lands next to you. I mean, these things can happen. You know, and by and, and by giving those and, and the GM just basically handing those out to the players can help really help them wrap their minds around the possibilities and break out of that really stale box that people do with in their minds. They say, This is what our game is like, this is what we can do. And we have a lot of trouble with that in the fringeworthy game because you've got the early game, the middle game, and the late game. And it's the late game that we're talking about with this kind of stuff that people never play. I mean, I'm, I've been running that game, that, that campaign now for a couple of years, and it is not easy because these players won't think outside the box like that. And it's a shame because <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, there, there's going to be that one time where it's going to hit them. You're going to find just the right thing, the right catalyst for them to just all of a sudden... Boom! There it'll be. They'll they'll grasp, and you're gonna get that from them. Just like, oh my god! It it'll take time. <laughs> yeah, and, and it has happened, but it doesn't stay. Is the problem I run into? It's like they they, they, they get the they, they it's like they get into the, the the groove, you know, or whatever. You know, they get in the flow, and they suddenly say, "Yeah, we could do this and this and this." And they look at me like I'm gonna say no, and I'm like, "What? If you say it works." You know, make your rolls. Does it work? Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess it worked. And they're like, really? And I'm like, why? You know, or you've got the card. You tell me what happens. And they're like, really? And I'm like, that's why I give you this stuff. And they're like, oh. But then the next time they're like back thinking. Yeah. Like in their 21st century thoughts. And uh, which is one reason why time travel stories are kind of fun because you can make these people run into that where they're suddenly they're walking around with super, with what with, is super high tech to everybody around them but it's normal for them yeah and they're they're like well we could go do this and someone's like how can you do that I mean that would take you know years of calculations oh no we just have to take the data and just run it through this calc this this function calculator is built into my phone and it'll spit it out in I don't know, you know, a couple minutes. And it's like where did you get that? <laughs> how how can this be? Who are you people? And you know, but yeah, that's and and they sometimes get it when you do that because this if they can get their minds to translate now into the future and say, what you know, if I actually lived in a commonwealth now that had access to super high-tech worlds and had Tamellar artifacts or had, you know, super science, you know, Eternals artifacts or, or affinity stones or whatever you want to say, what, 
how would that change the campaign? What would they change in my life and the way my character acts, you know, and what my character would be doing? That's what we're trying to get people, all you listeners out there, that's what we want you to do. That's what gaming on the frontier is all about, is to get past the preconceptions, to break through genres, to, uh, you know, to break through uh, gender and all those concepts and say, what is the character I want to play and what do I want my character to be able to do and what game do I need to play in order for it to happen? And that's what we want you to do. Yes. Right, Trev? Yes, sir. Yes. Okay, and, and I applaud you for what you've done with your Maze World game because re- I think you've really elevated D&D to a major extent there. Thank you. Um, obviously, most of the props go to my partner in crime on that, Gina Osborne, a.k.a. Perky Goth. That, that's her baby. I just plugged in the rules and mechanics to make it work. Um. We still have another arc to do, and we're like in another game right now as a break. And when we get back to that, it's going to be a level where even our players are just going to look at us and go, what were you drinking? Because <laughs> we're going to drink some uh, mulled wine to plan a couple. The next level we're going, it's just they're going to be looking at us. Okay, you're, you two are cut off. You're done. Just... <laughs> But yeah, Ace World, no, it, it, it was a unique experience because of everything we had to bring into it. Well, everybody who played your games at Gen Con seemed to really, really enjoy themselves, including my son. Yeah, oh yeah, he, yeah, he, there were a few times he even looked, he looked at me and he finally said, okay, when you're here, I'm getting in your game. So I'm like, well, thank you. you know. Yeah, he said that to me too. And I, I was always very proud of him, you know, that he'd recognize, you know, really good quality stuff, but enough patting each other on the back. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> anyways, um, we, uh, so anyways, like I said, that's what our, that's what gaming on the frontier is about. That's what we're trying to do. And um, if, you know, and, and again, we, we want you guys to give us feedback uh, on our Facebook um, and, um, and of course on Google Plus and all those other places, especially on this podcast. If you want to send a note to us, we'd love to hear that. Uh, especially if something happened around your table, you know, something we'd love to get some of your, uh, because we're not, we're game agnostic now, okay? So that yes. means that if you did something truly amazing that was like way over the top inside a Traveler, we want to hear it. If you did it in um, a Vampire, uh, you know, using, you know, um, Umbra Tech, okay. You know, especially if you were in, uh, a game like um, oh shoot, I can't think of it now. The the one um, has all the stellites and and uh, different universes that are all taking place in small areas on the planet on Earth. Uh, Torg. Torg, yes, thank you, thank you, Trav. Torg with all that um, uh, uh, you know the the one the demon tech stuff and the Cthulhu tech. I mean that stuff is 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 just basically it's it's those people who are trying to blue sky this this concept so that when you actually go someplace where you run into super high tech your GM isn't just like well I guess it's going to be just like Star Trek or it's just going to be like um, Andromeda because Andromeda was supposed to be even higher tech than Star Trek I mean the um, Organian, by the way, was the, was the guy yeah. I was to think of. But, you know, it's 
I mean, you you want to get make it interesting, you know, and uh, and not just steal something you read in a book, but actually just trying to make it your own. So, please tell us about these things, okay? Because we'd love to hear them. Uh, we'd love to hear, you know, how you you especially any time that you basically break outside the box, where you you basically take a rule that's never been used in the same way before in your game, and you suddenly apply it differently, and you find it's awesome. Oh, we want to hear that. So whatever you do, we hope you're awesome at it. We hope your players think you're awesome if you're a GM. And if you're a player, I hope you're making your GM awesome by feeding ideas to your GM and not treating him as if he's your enemy because he's there to give you the most awesome adventure he can yes. or she can, and, and, he, and they need your help. So it, it please. This is collaborative storytelling. That is the whole purpose of role-playing games. It is the players and game master working together to make a shared universe. Right. Absolutely. And we are going to uh, do our very best to bring the awesome to you again next week. But until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.